Okay, let's take our Bibles, open it to Ephesians chapter 5, chapter 5, and there we're going to study a very, very important topic and uh, section of Scripture about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So yeah, you've probably noticed my titles are not that creative. You don't have to figure out what I'm going to try and tell you. I'm going to tell you how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what this sermon is going to be about, but... But, um, but we do need that clarity because there's much confusion today about how that looks like, uh, what it means, what it does not mean. And I pray that God would bless us and help us today to have that clarity as we obey him as well. But let's read from verse 15 because that really is the, the context of this passage. Let's read from verse 15 up until verse 21. Hear the reading of God's word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we even ask right now to give us your spirit. Lord, your spirit inspired these words, and now we need your spirit to illuminate our eyes to understand these words. So, Father, please be merciful to us. Fill me with your spirit that I might preach your word boldly as I ought. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think few of us would argue that the Holy Spirit is essential for our Christian lives. But the sad reality is that he's often the forgotten member of the Trinity. We stumble forth in our feeble attempts to obey God in our own strength. We struggle to muster up enough courage to witness or to share the gospel with others. We are often joyless in our obedience, and in our serving of Christ. And this is all because of our sinful neglect of the Holy Spirit and His ministry in our lives. Listen, it's the Spirit that gives us true joy. That's a a connection you see right throughout the New Testament where the Spirit is this joy. Romans 14 verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and Joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives us boldness to share the gospel. Acts chapter 4 verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's the Spirit that gives us that holy energy to put to death even our most stubborn sins. Romans 8 verse 30, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if what? By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So could one reason be of our joyless, powerless, obedience-less Christianity be because we have neglected the Holy Spirit in our lives? Of course, right? Absolutely, because that is His ministry. We are not submitting ourselves under his work. We are not being filled with the Spirit. But thankfully, in our text, what we have just read, this is God's heart 
for every one of his children. This is what God wants for every single one of you. To be filled with the Spirit. Not to be controlled by alcohol, but to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Not to be controlled by alcohol, which leads to depression, death, and destruction, but to be controlled by the Spirit that leads to love, joy, and peace. Now remember Ephesians 5, we've been looking at this theme of walking. That's really what this whole chapter is about. We walk in love, we walk as light, and now in our text we see in verse 15, we have to walk in wisdom, making the best use of the time. And now Paul will give us two very practical commands, how to redeem your time. This is one of the wisest things you can do with your time. Number one, not do not get drunk. Number two, be filled with the Spirit. That's how, well, if, if you do those two commands, you will make the best use of your time. You will be redeeming your time. And so let's first consider the negative command to avoid, if we are to make the best use of our time and to walk in wisdom, is to do not get drunk with wine. We read that in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying alcohol responsibly and to remain sober-minded. Remember, even Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine, same Greek word here, for your stomach, right? Because of your frequent ailments. But however, when we read the Bible, the Bible consistently condemns all drunkenness in every and all forms, in fact, so strongly that if you are a drunkard, the Bible says you will be cast into hell. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, although serious... Remember, those are the kind of people Jesus came for. He came for homosexuals. He came for drunkards. He came for the broken to restore them. Because the very next verse, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 says, And such were some of you. Past tense. 2,000 year evidence that homosexuals can stop being homosexual and drunkards can stop being drunkards. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus has the power and the grace to transform an alcoholic to a self-controlled servant of others. If you are in Christ, this is no longer your identity. This is your past life. You were a drunkard. This is not who you are, but by his love, his acceptance, his grace, you are washed, you are justified. And if you are a drunkard right now, if perhaps you struggle with that sin right now, listen to the good news for you. Even now, Jesus can set you free from that sin. Even now, if you would call to him and come to him, he can release the power of drunkenness over your heart and give you true self-control and true forgiveness and wash you clean. All things are possible with God. So come to him and cry out to him. And so for us who perhaps that's not a, a, a addictive sin, but it's still something we are dabbling with, right? We have to avoid this because of what Paul says. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, debauchery. 
Drunkenness leads to debauchery, which means a reckless, shameless abandon to what is evil. There's no longer any restraints left. Um, Sinclair Ferguson says debauchery is giving way to uncontrolled passions, which the sober person keeps in place. So what drunkenness does, it removes those natural boundaries that God has given all of us to not go all the way with our sin. But when you are drunk, things like your conscience is silenced, things like feeling of shame, things like logical thinking is out the door. And so the limits to your sin is removed, and that's what debauchery is, is reckless, shameless abandon into your sin. So that's scary, and this is the picture of darkness. So when it says walk in light, we should no longer walk in darkness. I want you to imagine a man that's drunk. And this is one of the saddest pictures if you've ever seen a man walking down the streets in the middle of the night drunk. That's the picture of being in sin, being in the world, right? The person cannot even walk a straight line. The person doesn't know where he is. The person doesn't know where he's going. And that's really the life of sin. That's the picture of sinning, of walking in darkness. No purpose, no direction, no hope, no stability. That's the, that's the life of darkness of sin. And so, beloved, the first thing we have to do if we are to walk wisely is to follow Jesus, be sober-minded, be self-controlled. We have to repent of that sin. If that is a sin you are battling with, cast it away, repent, come to Christ, and he will fill you with the Spirit, which will fill you with self-control. And listen, you don't need alcohol to be joyful. Why do people go back there over and over and over again. Because they want to either numb and drown out the pain, the depression, the sorrow. They feel the guilty conscience they're battling, they're carrying. They need to numb themselves because they want to forget. But Christian, you don't have to go there. Unbeliever, you don't have to go there. There is another source of joy. There's a fountain of living waters. Drunkenness is an empty system. You have to keep filling and it leaves you empty. But Christ is the living fountain that if you drink today, there will be more tomorrow. He alone satisfies your heart. He alone can cleanse the guilty conscience. He alone can even work your sins together for good. You can even trust him with your past, your past failures, your past sins. You can come as you are. Christians, we have an inward source of joy, which is the Holy Spirit. You see, so drunk people often sing, but we sing by the Spirit. And this leads to the second point. The second way we are to make the best use of the time by living wisely is to obey the second command, which is a positive command, to be filled with the Spirit. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Let's begin by saying what it does not mean. Okay, Often, if you want to understand something and what it means, you start by saying what it does not mean, and that already clarifies a lot. So the first thing it does not mean is that to be filled with the Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Spirit. Now, in some charismatic circles, you will hear a teaching that goes something like this. You are saved, you come to Christ... But now you need to also be baptized with the Spirit after you are saved. And before you are baptized with the Spirit, you will either be always struggling with your sin and never have victory. 
And the sign that you are baptized with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. So until you speak in tongues, that's the sign that you don't have the Spirit. You're not baptized with the Spirit. So in these circles, the filling of the Spirit is the same as being baptized. Or, or rather, this is just the teaching of baptism, what the baptism of the Spirit means. Now, baptism of the Spirit is a biblical concept, right? So we should, this is not a, that it's unbiblical. Listen, remember what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, verse 11. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals are not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, and that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out on those 120 believers in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. But since then, the Bible teaches clearly that the moment you believe in Jesus is the same moment you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. So your salvation and baptism of the Spirit is synonymous. It's the same thing, the same event. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 connects the baptism of the Spirit with your union with the church. It says... For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Remember, Ephesians teaches the same thing. Just turn back to chapter 1, verse 13 as well. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you, when you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. When you are saved, you've received the Spirit in His fullness. There's not such a thing as an A-class Christian and a B-class Christian, or the ordinary Christian and the, oh, the supernatural Christian, the Christian that has received the Spirit now. So, so strongly is this that we read in Romans 8 verse 9, if you, you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So there's no such thing as being saved but not having the Spirit. It's impossible. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. You're not saved. So therefore, the first thing it does not mean is this filling of the Spirit does not refer to your baptism of the Spirit, which happens the moment you believe in Jesus. You were baptized into the body of Christ. Second thing it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean to be drunk with the Spirit. So sometimes people have overstated the implied contrast is don't be drunk with wine. So that implies don't be drunk or be drunk with the Holy Spirit. And again, you're in these circles, when the Spirit takes over, you lose control. Right? Uh, barking like dogs, rolling around, holy laughter, things like that. But that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. Ironically, the more the Spirit controls you, the more in control of you are of yourself. Why do I say that? What's the last fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. One of the evidences that you are controlled by the Holy Spirit is that you haven't lost control of yourself, but that you have more control of yourself to be able to say no to your sin and obey Christ. So that's the idea, okay? A third thing it doesn't mean is it does also not mean a joyless serving of God by your sheer willpower. Now, this is the other extreme. Here, here is where our, we as Baptists need to just take a hard look at this, right? So being filled with the Spirit is not just saying, okay, I'm going to try harder. 
I'm going to do this with my willpower, my sheer strength. That's not what it means. It doesn't refer to a life of joyless serving because you just have to. Right? That's not what it means. It must mean something more. So now let's talk about what it means. What then does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And we're just going to make a few observations of the text and then see what it means. The first observation we make is it's commanded. This is so simple, but you're going to see the point I want to make when it says, when Paul says in verse 18, he says, be filled. Notice that. Be filled. It's a command. Something you and I have to do. There's a re- you and I have a responsibility in this verse. We have something to do. And you can disobey this verse. That's the first thing. It's commanded. Okay. Second observation. It's a passive command. Interesting. Okay. It's one of those commands you do. It says that, that it does, doesn't say fill yourself with the spirit. What does it say? Be filled passively. Rather than doing something, in a sense, you are allowing something to happen to you. That's what it means to to obey a passive command. You yield yourself to somebody else. You see? So you do something, but you're doing it to submit. And number three, very important, it's also a continuous command. It's something you must do over and over and over again. Something that Christians must experience for the rest of their lives. It's not a once-off experience and boom, filled with the Spirit, nothing left to do. No, it's a, in the Greek it's continuous, meaning it's something you have to obey throughout your life until the day you die. Be filled, be filled, be continually filled throughout your lives. We need moment-by-moment filling, moment-by-moment strength, moment-by-moment joy of the Spirit, the wisdom of the Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit. Now how? Okay, how do we obey this? Now, I've broken this. I wanted to make this as practical as I possibly can, but even in this practical section, you might misunderstand me because here I wanted to give you four steps, four steps to take to be filled with the Spirit, but that is not to imply that we can manipulate God to give us what we want if we have fulfilled the steps or even that these steps have to take a day or two days. These can happen in a moment or a week or so don't so please take eat the fish and spit out the bones. All right, even of this of these steps, right? But I do believe this is a helpful way to remember and to help us to know what it means, how we are filled. And the first step is simply this: repent of all known sin in your life. We have to begin there. Why? Because the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of holiness. He leads to holiness. He leads us to kill. Our sin. So if you are constantly rejecting him by sinning, guess what? You are not going to be filled with the Spirit. If you are constantly doing what chapter 4 verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you're constantly grieving him by your life, by your sin, you're not going to be filled with the Spirit. Remember in the context of the grieving, what is it referring to there? It refers to our relationships. If you're, if you're going to refuse to forgive other people, if you're going to refuse to have to compassion on other people, refuse to love one another, if you're going to harbor that anger, that bitterness in your heart, you're grieving the Spirit. You're not, no longer under the control of the Spirit. We come to God with an open heart to the God who sees everything. He sees our hearts. 
And when we come, we, we say to the Lord, Lord, search me and know my heart. Point out my sin to me. Now, we had a very good conversation earlier about the Lord's Supper. How do we know when the Spirit convicts us of sin or when, when either the devil wants to remind us of our sin or we ourselves? And Brother Dion helped me with this. It's wonderful advice. The Spirit is super clear. That's it. When the Spirit convicts you of your sin, it's clear. The moment you have to try to ask, Yo, is this the Spirit? Is this me? Is this just my oversensitive conscience? Guess what? God is not a bad communicator. When God speaks, He speaks clearly. When God shows us our sin, there's no doubt whether you have sinned or not. It is clear. When I did this the first time, when I was just in my preparation, not, not just wanting to preach it, but to obey it, I asked the Lord, Lord, search my heart. Show me if there's be any wicked ways in me. Almost in a moment's flash, seeing my irritation with my wife. A moment. Seeing my passive aggressiveness with my wife. Seeing my irritation with my children. And you know what? I didn't doubt for one second that that was the Holy Spirit pressing on me my sin. And just there and then saying to the Lord, please forgive me for this. I'm sorry. So that's the thing. We, we, we want to be filled. We come to the Lord with humility. Lord, search my heart. And wait upon him and allow him to, to convict you. But secondly, we don't stop there. Step two is to fill yourself with the means of grace the Spirit uses. Um, we're going to look at this in detail later, but let's glance over to chapter 6, verse 17. Chapter 6, verse 17 about the armor of God. And it's an interesting connection that Paul makes between the Spirit and something else. Listen to 6, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he doesn't stop there immediately, praying, praying at all times. This, the Word and prayer. The Spirit, so these two things are synonymous as well. The more the Bible controls your thinking, the more the Spirit controls your thinking. The more you let the Word of God dwell in you, the more the Spirit is able to use and to guide and to help. And there's a very amazing parallel passage in Colossians 3.16 that helps us here. Okay, listen to Colossians 3.16. This text actually helps us and clarifies. It says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Look at the results of if you are filled with the Word of Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With thankfulness in your heart. Does that sound familiar? We just read it in our text, right? In our text, being filled with the Spirit results in singing. And in and, and Colossians, being filled with the Word results in singing. So we have the same event, or the, the two different commands, but the same results. And the point is, these two things are synonymous. The more you are filled with the Bible, the more you are thinking scripturally, thinking biblically, that's how the Spirit controls us. It will have the same effect, singing, giving thanks. These two are closely connected. Right? Step three, ask for the Spirit. Ask for the Spirit. Once we have asked forgiveness, we fill our hearts with His words and we, we're thinking biblically, we have to just simply do this step. And you've got to hear this. God delights to answer this prayer. God delights to answer the prayer for the filling of the Spirit. Listen to Luke 11. This is in the parallel. We know this text and Matthew, I think we know, we're more familiar with Matthew's version, but listen to Luke 11. <clears throat> it says, 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That the point there is, how could we ever believe that our earthly parents would be more inclined to give us good gifts than when we simply go and ask for the Holy Spirit? That God would be somehow not inclined or less inclined. How could, it, how could that ever be? How could there be more mercy in us than in the God who planted that mercy in us? Right? How could there ever be more mercy like that? God is rich in mercy. The source of all mercy, the source of all joy and comfort. So it's almost too obvious to mention, but when we ask, expect him to answer it. Isn't it so true? Sometimes we go to God and we pray, but we subtly in the back of our minds think, no, I think God's going to withhold the spirit from me. He's not going to give me the spirit now. Maybe I'm too dirty, I'm too filthy, I'm too sinful. But no, remember, we're clinging to Christ. Christ is our righteousness. We're coming to God in desperate need. Lord, I need you. So as we come to our loving Father, we pray for this prayer. Father, fill me, control me by your Spirit. Expect Him to say yes. Expect that. Now, just to be clear, we're not asking God for the Spirit as if we don't possess Him already. We're asking for the Spirit to control us to lead us, to give us the power and the joy we lack in our obedience, in our witnessing, in our evangelism. So as you ask for God for this, expect joy, expect power, and expect power to kill your sin. And last step, step four, then walk out in obedience, trusting God's answer, trusting God. God's answer. Now we simply need to stand up and go. Remember, and that's why I said these four steps doesn't necessarily have to be an extended period of time. This can happen in a moment's time. This can happen in your quiet time. This can happen, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to put these, I don't want you to think of this is the only way it could possibly happen, how the Lord can fill us. But this is the general idea. And when we obey God, remember the put off, put on principle. For remember that there are sins you need to stop doing. And remember there are Good works you need to start doing, but then expect that. Walk out in obedience. So if I can use my irritation example earlier, I shouldn't just stop being irritated with my children and my wife. I should start loving my wife and start loving my children. You see, there's a put-on aspect of our obedience, but there's also that put-off aspect. And personally, this is just personally, this is not thus say of the Lord. Personally, I find it extremely helpful to write it down for myself, the put-off and the put-on. Because it's as if when I see my sin on paper, I see the clarity of the path I need to take. When I see what I need to stop doing and what I need to start doing on paper before my eyes, it helps me to obey. It really helps me. So that's what it means. And that's how we are filled. Now, let's close our time with the third question. And that is, what are the results? So we looked at what it doesn't mean, what it does mean. But now, what can we expect? So we already looked at some of the expect, but. What are the results of being full? And Paul answers that question in verses 19 to 21 with four participles. Four participles, okay? 
in ESV, addressing, or you could say speaking. Verse 19 as well, singing. Verse 20, giving thanks. And then verse 21, submitting. So all four of those participles, speaking, singing, thanking, and submitting, are the results of when the Spirit is controlling us. And so let's look at them quickly. But the first two we can combine together. The first two, the speaking and the singing, combined together is the first result is joyful fellowship in the context of worship. Joyful fellowship in the context of worship. That's why when you pray, you can expect joy. You can expect your heart to be joyful again. Because look at what verse 19 says. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice something. The joy is a joy which longs to share that with your church family. Because it says we are addressing whom? In, in verse 19. Addressing one another in our songs. Right? In psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, we talk, we're addressing one another. There's, the joy inside of us has to bubble up, bubble up and we have to share that. And that's one of the things I appreciate the most about our corporate worship. The thing I'm looking forward to, one of the things I'm looking forward to the most on a Sunday is to hear you sing. Is to hear your voices wash over me. Because guess what? I need that. I, as a, as a weary, struggling pastor, need to hear you sing about the same Lord that saved me. And that's what, when we sing, we're encouraging one another. We want to hear one another's voices. So the music shouldn't be that loud that you can only hear your mind. Okay? And if it's ever like that, please rebuke me. Somewhere from the, from the pew, okay? <laughs> okay, but... But no, we should be singing loud enough that we can hear one another. There's that, that spirit-filled, that's a spirit-filled church that longs to hear my brother sing, my sister sing. That's what we need, right? That's the corporate concept of worship. But there's also the individual aspect of it, right? Because, and the personal aspect between us and the Lord, because the rest of the verse says, not just to one another, making melody to the Lord, with your heart. So we address one another and we make melody to the Lord. There's a horizontal element to our worship and there's a vertical element. So beloved, in church, when we come to church, we should give up on our individual preferences of certain songs and melodies and rather rejoice that we are singing the truth about Jesus together. Rather find joy that we are celebrating the same gospel that has saved us and cleansed us. And here God is making us a new creation for his name's sake. Right? So there we sing to one another. We sing to the Lord. And that's the first result you can expect of being filled with the Spirit, singing. Now, unless you're like Dion that cannot sing, right? Uh, <laughs> but I think they should even be singing throughout the week, right? On your own or in the shower. <laughs> but that's really one of the things I've, I've experienced myself, that when I'm joyful in the Lord, I just find myself singing. But, uh, but that's besides the point. But here's the second point. The second result of being filled with the Spirit is, here's the difficult one, lasting thankfulness. So 
joyful fellowship in the context of worship, but also lasting thankfulness. Look at verse 20, the, the third participle, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a sign that you are full of the Spirit is not speaking in tongues. A sign that you are full of the Spirit is that you are full of thanksgiving. You are a thankful person. That's the evidence. Look at a person that's thankful and you see a person that's filled. That's an sure sign that someone is not filled with the Spirit is a person that's always complaining, always grumbling, always discontent. If I can illustrate this, right, uh, yesterday we were expecting load shedding and the load shedding didn't happen. And people were complaining. What now? The power is on. (laughs) It's like nothing, not even when the government accidentally does something right. Right? They can't even give thanks for that. (laughs) Christians shouldn't be like that. You should thank God for the load shedding. Thank God. For everything. Right? Isn't that, that scary? How, how our thanksgiving must be, right? It, notice our thanksgiving must be constant. It says, giving thanks always. It should be total. Verse 20. For everything. Give thanks for everything. Hasn't that instantly updated your list of give, things that you have to give thanks for? Okay. If you still don't know what to give thanks for, allow me to quickly list everything for you. So we're going to be here for another um, two hours because it says give thanks for everything. So let me list everything for you or everything I can remember. Right? Thanks for your body, food, clothing, health, family, singleness, marriage, your house, your possessions, the weather, our country. If you watched the rugby yesterday, testing your faith, (laughs) giving thanks that we could have enjoyed that, even though it was painful to watch. Spiritually, how many things can you say thank you spiritually, right? Thank God for your salvation, your forgiveness, grace, adoption, election, redemption, our inheritance, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, their Trinitarian love for us, one another, the church. Now, Let me just clarify something very, very important. We don't give thanks for everything because everything is good in and of themselves. That's very important, right? We don't give thanks for everything because everything is good in and of themselves, but we give thanks to everything because God always works together everything for our good, even the bad. See the difference that makes? So, So you don't have to say, thank you for this, because this thing makes me happy. Sometimes things breaks our hearts, right? Sometimes things crushes our spirits. But we say, Lord, thank you that you are revealing my heart. And that you are teaching me that whether my flesh and my heart or my wife or my house or my job or my success may fail. But you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Promises like these, right? We know, we know, we know this. God works all things together for good for those who love Him. 
James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, do you see how important knowing these things are? Know this. If you don't know it, you'll not be able to give thanks. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we don't give thanks, for example, for sinful actions of people as if to say that those sins are okay. We don't give thanks just for the suffering and the trials because the suffering and the trials are somehow good to, or in and of themselves good. But rather we look up to God our Father, our wise Father, our perfect Father, our Father who allows nothing into your life except by His permission and His, His plans for His perfect purposes. It's really to have the theology of Joseph, right? You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. So to have the theology of Job, after Job lost everything, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. See, Job looked beyond Satan, beyond the thieves, beyond the secondary means, and he looked above them all and know that his God allowed it. And therefore, he can even give thanks after he lost everything. He can even worship them. But you see, this is not normal. That's why you need the filling of the Spirit. You see, so don't say, okay, I'm going to start being thankful. No, go back to the root. Go back to the Holy Spirit. He needs to fill you. He needs to control. And this will be one of the results of being filled with the Spirit. So that's, again, another test for yourself. Look at this last week. Have you been just constantly complaining, constantly grumbling, constantly finding fault? You were not filled with the Spirit this week. But were you thankful? Were you genuinely, not thankful for the pain and the, the trouble, but thankful to God for Him being in your life and working in you and through you? Because remember that the thanksgiving is directional. Look at verse 20 again. It says, giving thanks for everything to God the Father. And it's also medi mediatorial. I don't know if that's a word, but because look at the rest. Through, in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. We even give thanks to God in the name of Jesus. And what that means is we come to him based on his perfect work on the cross. He is our mediator between God and man. And so even our thanksgiving needs to be washed by the blood of Jesus. Even our thanksgiving isn't perfect. Even our, There's enough sin in our thanksgiving to take us to hell. right? But that's why we don't come in our name. We don't come in our righteousness. We come in the name of Jesus. Meaning... Lord, I'm coming as a forgiven child, as an adopted child, cleansed and washed. And that's why I come. And lastly, the last result of being filled with the Spirit is there's not just joyful fellowship in the context of worship. There's not just lasting thanksgiving. There's also humble submitting. Humble submitting. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, sometimes... Feminists try to take this verse and say, see, husbands and wives need to submit to one another. Therefore, there's no roles in marriage. Because here it says, submitting to whom? To one another. Right? But that's not what this passage means. Right? What's the three rules of Bible study? Context, context. Because the very next verse, he explains what he means. What does he say? Wives submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives, submitting to Christ. 
And then look at chapter 6. Children, obey your parents. That's children submitting to their parents. Look at chapter 6 verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. So what Paul is now going to say afterwards is this is to have a biblical marriage, you need to be filled with the Spirit. To, to be, have biblical parenting, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And to have a good working relationship with your employer or your employees, you need to be filled with the Spirit. So that's, what it, that's the main thing it means. When he says submitting to one another, he says submitting to one another in the various roles God has put us in, in our lives. If you're in marriage, there's submission. If you are a parent and a child, there's submission. And if you are a worker and a slave, there's submission. Now, I do think there's an attitude submission to one another. So although these roles are fixed and defined, listen to Philippians 2 verse 3, I think this attitude describes our mutual submission because it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So there is a sense where we are submitting to one another, everyone having the same attitude of Christ, of you are more important to me than I am. That is a type of submission and humility to count other people more significant than yourselves. So again, this can be another test if you are filled with the Spirit or not. One way to see if someone is filled with the Spirit is to see how that person reacts to authority, legitimate authority. Right? If a person is constantly pushing, constantly rebelling, constantly questioning legitimate authority, keyword there, legitimate authority, that is a sign the person is not controlled by the Spirit, but by their own passions, their own pride, their own name, their own glory. And again, but again, a person that is filled and controlled by the Spirit is a person that respects legitimate authority, gladly submits to the authority that God has placed in our lives. And here's another motive. We don't, shouldn't miss the end of verse 21. Look at the end of there. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Greek word there, phobos, phobos, fear. Out of fear of Christ. Submit out of fear of Christ. You see, we both love Jesus and we fear Jesus. But fearing here, not in the sinful fear that drives us away from him, but in the fear that draws us towards him, in joyful awe and love. Because Jesus is not just the lamb. He's also the lion of Judah. And he is the king of kings. He is Lord. And therefore we obey, we submit out of fear of Christ. We see him on the throne and we remember who is the one that placed us in our authority, submission, relationship in the first place. It wasn't us. Ultimately, all authority comes from Christ. Now, whether those authority abuses that, their authority, Christ will judge them. Right? But our duty is to obey Christ above all and submit to our authorities in our lives. So that's what it means. This is what will result if you are filled, controlled, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let me close with this final invitation for all of you. Beloved, are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Does your thirsty soul long to be to drink from this well of joy, this well of strength and obedience? I love Revelations, how Revelations 22 verse 17 makes this invitation to all of us. It says, 
the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You don't have to pay a price to be filled with the Spirit. Christ paid that price. He satisfied the wrath of God. Come and eat. Come and drink without price, without money. Drink from this well of the Holy Spirit that satisfies the the deepest corners of our souls. And then trust Him by walking out in joyful obedience as we submit ourselves to Him in worship. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word that that teaches us, that equips us, that helps us, Father, to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would search us if there might be a sin that we are clinging to that is grieving the Holy Spirit in us, that we would forsake it, Lord, and we would forsake it willingly and joyfully, knowing that all sin destroys us. All sin steals our joy in you and our peace with you. Lord, then I pray that you would truly give us your spirit, right, even right now, Lord, that you would fill us, that your spirit would control us as your spirit leads us to your word and to prayer and to obedience, to joyful fellowship, to lasting thanksgiving, and to humble submitting to one another. Oh Lord, we need you. We thank you that you are generous and that you delight to answer our prayers. We ask this and pray this for your name's sake. Amen.